We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for FlexBox, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. We invite you to join us as we discuss how to shift the classroom, the learning environment, the mindset, and the pedagogy to try something new, reignite wonder, and reimagine education. If you are in the Bay Area, we are currently accepting applications for students for the fall of 2023. Yes, we have limited spots available and also for our elementary and middle school starting at TK through seventh grade for fall of 2024. Up Academy has created our framework so that new and existing schools can develop imaginative, exciting, relevant, engaging learning environments for all of their students. We're excited to introduce the Rebel Project Literacy Curriculum. It's a fully integrated literacy and project-based learning curriculum that supports social-emotional development and is based on skills and competencies. Learn more at projectup.us. Have you ever thought of opening your own school? Project Up is also supporting new educators and families to create schools like Up Academy and schools of your own design. Reach out to join our affiliate network at projectup.us. Now, let's get to today's episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome, Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Danielle Neufer. She believes that well schools will change the world. Part of how this change will happen is through educators, school leaders, and school systems prioritizing mindfulness and self-care. Danielle is the author of The Path of the Mindful Teacher, which chronicles her own journey of burnout and how she found a mindfulness practice that transformed her from the inside out. During her 20 years as a public school educator, she founded Teaching Well, which is dedicated to helping schools increase teacher retention and student outcomes by prioritizing wellness. Danielle is honored to partner with like-minded school districts and work with leaders, teachers, and students through professional development facilitation, online courses, and teacher wellness coaching. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. 
I think this is such an important and fitting topic, especially in this moment in time when we're coming out of the pandemic and still really lacking that connection to others. And for some of us, still trying to build our own self-awareness and practices as we get used to being, for lack of a better term, in civilization again. I'm excited to hear how you're working with schools and students and making that happen. But I want to step back and kind of start at the beginning. So you were a public school teacher for 20 years. How did your experience as a teacher lead you into practicing mindfulness? That's a great question. It was out of necessity because I loved my job and I love working with students, but I needed to figure out a way to do that and not completely give myself and all of my life to teaching. So my first bout of burnout happened at precisely the five-year mark. When everybody says, you know, however many percentage of teachers leave the profession, I was in the principal's office and he said, what is wrong with you? What's going on? And like, you know, he said that in so many, in, in a very kind way, but it was right before summer vacation. And I knew that if I didn't do something, I wasn't going to continue being able to be a teacher. I was burning the candles at all the ends. And among many things that summer, I found mindfulness as a practice that I started to do outside of school. And what happened was it really started to impact the way I showed up in my classroom. I didn't really know that that was happening, but it did. And years of intermittently practicing, trying to create a routine and do all those things started to impact how I showed up in my classroom with my students without me really teaching them much of anything about mindfulness per se. So that's how I got started. And then as I went through, I started realizing, oh, this can actually help me in my classroom. Not necessarily teaching it to kids, but like it can actually help me while I'm teaching. And that was transformative to the work that I do now. You talk about how you use it or how you used it while you were teaching and how you maybe teach teachers how to do that now. What did that look like in practice? So it might not look like much of anything to the outside observer, which is what I think is so hard to grasp. One of the things that I say very often is nothing needs to change, but when we change, everything changes. And it's not to give an excuse for conditions that aren't just or anything like that. But what I try to do is empower teachers. And what mindfulness practice can look like is, and I did this all with myself, like this is all practice and action, was I started to realize there were times when I was reacting to kids. I was just like pouncing on them when they would do certain things. And what mindfulness in action in a classroom would be is, you know, after that incident happened, I would maybe do a little reflection on my day and be like, you know, what was that about? What was going on there? And when I started to bring mindfulness in my classroom, what that started to look like was me to really pick apart in that moment, what was going on? Well, I was getting emotionally reactive about something that was not necessarily about that kid. It was something else. And I started to realize, oh, when this thing happens, I react this way. I know this thing is going to happen. This kid's going to be late. That's going to happen. So instead of reacting the way I always do, can I take a deep breath before he walks in the door? And can I respond to him differently? Doesn't mean he doesn't 
get quote unquote in trouble or written up or whatever because he's late. It means that I show up differently, hold his expectations, but I'm not reacting on autopilot. So what I try to do is to help teachers hone in on things like that. That's one example. I think that's a, a really applicable example. We all do this with everything. So I think it's a fitting place to start with bringing mindfulness into a classroom. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K-12 curriculum and that it's proven benefit to all student populations, including English learners and students in special education programs. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results, combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com B for a demo. That's IXL.com B-E. So you've developed the Well Teaching Program. Can you talk about how that program and the example you just gave is fantastic about, you know, how you can transform a classroom and the feeling in that classroom and the mood. Because I'm sure if you're reactive to one student, then all the other students see that and they're like, oh, what'll happen if I do this? Is she going to react that way? And it shifts the whole feel of a classroom. And when you shift that with mindfulness, it can change the way all of your students interact with each other and react to you as an educator. How do you see the well teachers and the well program transforming school culture on a larger scale? Well, I think it's that same ripple effect. So well stands for waking up, which we practice mindfulness. And the E stands for engaging in the journey, which is all about inquiry, where we're asking questions of ourselves and of each other. The first L is leaning into our strengths. So that means like, yeah. We are human beings, but we all have strengths. And how can we all bring those strengths together to like create something bigger than ourselves? And then the final thing is living with compassion. How can we be this collective school culture and see that we're all human? We're all trying to do our best. We all show up differently at different times and have that kind of be that continual cycle. Like we're waking up, we're questioning, we're seeing who can do what, when, and then we're all kind of having a little bit of compassion and even humor along the way, a little bit of levity about like, okay, let's not take ourselves so seriously all the time. And that's how I see if teachers can start to do that process with school leaders. So it's not just about teachers. It's not just about the leaders. It's not about the students. It's about everybody having a seat at the table and saying, we all have some work to do and that's okay. Yeah. I like what you said about showing up differently at different times. That's something that I've seen and a theme that I've seen come up a lot in my own life recently that we have all these goals and we have these ambitions and we have the things that we want to get done during the day. And you think that I should be productive at 100% every day. And some days like 40% is 100%. And some days 65% is 100%. And so how do we give ourselves permission and create that culture within our schools and our classrooms to give permission to not be 
quote unquote, a hundred percent every day? I think it's, again, it goes back to that practice. It goes back to the practice. I mean, it would be to me a practice of self-compassion. Like, yeah, you don't have a hundred percent every day. And it's also about being honest, being vulnerable, especially our school leaders being vulnerable that, you know what, as a school leader, I'm not a hundred percent and that's okay. So when it starts to get modeled in a way that other people see it safe, I think that that trickles down to our students. I think there's a lot of healing that needs to happen in a lot of schools, a lot of really honest conversations that need to be had. And I feel like this framework that I'm trying to bring to schools helps to facilitate that in a way that makes it a little safer than like the isolated conversations that might be happening. Yeah. Modeling is something we talk a lot about as well. And we think about that. And that's definitely a really important thing for both leadership and for our educators to be doing with our students. If you were going to look at one other thing that leaders can do to prioritize the well-being of their staff, what would you focus on? I would say having a system for lines of communication in place. Because it's so easy everywhere to just complain. And I don't think there's a problem with complaining once in a while. But I think there needs to be a system in place for communicating concerns, for seeing that there's progress being made, even if we can't see it. And this can happen. You know, I brought a concern up and then it gets lost in the email or it gets lost in the shuffle. How is there a consistent communication path so people can get their needs met, know that things are being worked on? And that there's follow up in some way, shape, or form. I think that can go a long way because not every leader can make everything happen that a teacher needs or wants to happen. But if they know it's at least being considered or what stage of it it's in, I think that goes a long way. Yeah, that's a really important point. When we look at or talk about the E in the WELL program and engaging in the journey, and you mentioned that this is the inquiry stage of the journey and of asking questions of ourselves. Are there favorite questions that you have or favorite areas that you like to explore with groups that you work with? Yeah. My favorite question I think is what's going on there? What's going on with me? Like making it very external, like what's that about? And again, like I said before, having that air and approach of curiosity to the way that I'm showing up sometimes or the way that they're showing up sometimes without judgment, because that's what mindfulness is about. It's about bringing awareness to the present moment without judgment. And I think we forget the without judgment part. And we think we should be doing something a certain way or should feel a certain way. But when we can ask ourselves the question like, huh, what was going on with that? The person could answer. And I'm thinking about myself in this situation. I'm thinking about a situation that this isn't necessarily in the classroom, but with one of my sons, I'll often say, what's going on with me and him? Sometimes I'm hungry. Sometimes I'm tired. So it doesn't need to be like a judgment. It's like, oh, I'm hungry. I need to go get something to eat. That's what's going on. So I think what's going on here is a great place to start. Yeah, it's funny. My kids and I spent a lot of time this summer on vacation just with us as a family. And my husband was home working. He started a new position. 
And so my kids and I went on vacation and they quickly discovered that if I had a glass of wine, that I would say yes to a lot more things. It's that moment of like, mom said no to ice cream earlier. What's going on with her? Oh, she drank wine. We should ask again. They're at that age of figuring out the different things that are happening in your life and around you and how other people react to that or how they react to that. (laughs) That's a great example. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you think well teachers may be some of the most integral people to help transform the trajectory of our world or, you know, the trajectory of change in education? Because I think that the students that we have in our classrooms, the young people that we are educating need something even more than they needed five years ago. And this is just what I've sensed and what I've seen. I think they need role models for this kind of honest, engaging work. And that, again, does not mean that you need to go and pour your heart out to your students. It means that you're doing work like this to show up for these kids in the way that they need it. Because right now they need something that's much different than they needed a decade ago. So unless we do this work, we're not teaching to the kids that are really in front of us a lot of the time. As you started to talk, that's what I was thinking of is kind of where we started this conversation around a lack of connection and I recently heard a statistic that said the generation that's graduating now, Gen Z, has spent on average 10 hours a week less of social time or 10 hours fewer per week having social time with their friends than generations before. And how do we bridge that lack of connection or that almost inability to really read social cues and develop socially because they've just had so much less time than earlier generations you know, spent together. And that was only exacerbated, I'm sure, through the pandemic for all of us. How can you use mindfulness to support that connection or to support mental health? I think that for young people, when I was teaching, I taught high school and I had to create opportunities for them to talk to one another. <laughs> I had to create opportunities for them to interact in meaningful ways because they want to do that. They just, they honestly don't know how. And I don't think that's their fault. Again, like the statistic you just said. And I think that it's easy for us as teachers, as adults, as professionals, however you want to say it, to forget that that used to be hard for us anyway, and it can still be hard for us to do those social interactions. So I think all of us, to whatever varying degree it's comfortable, we need to encourage and give them opportunities and almost hold their hands while they're learning how to communicate with one another. I'll give you one quick example. I taught public speaking for at least 10 or 15 years. And Throughout the time, even before the pandemic, at first, my job was to get them in front of a classroom giving speeches. Like that was what I needed to get them to do. As the time went on, I realized by their own admission, like they didn't even know how to order food at a restaurant. They felt uncomfortable doing things that were just life skills. So I needed to help them learn how to do that. So I think they don't know what they don't know. 
And the more we can provide real life opportunities, not making judgment about it, but just saying this is for real, this is a skill they need to have, the better. Yeah, we were talking about life skills and talking about talking on the phone and how like my daughter makes a phone call. The person's there. She's not really sure what to say. The person's not there and she gets a voicemail. She has no idea what to do then. And just how different it was. And we were sharing with her back when I was a kid stories, which nobody ever wants to hear from their parents. But also like we had landlines. And if you wanted to talk to someone, you had to call and you had to talk to their parents or their brother or their sister, whoever answered the phone and then ask for them. And then having just all of those small interactions and learning how to have those mini conversations, even that is something that's challenging today because we don't have that daily practice of how to do that. Mm -hmm. My five-year-old, he is not a big talker. So this is something everybody can do. And then everybody will be happy because when he goes with me to the grocery store, he asks the cashier what their favorite candy bar is. And they think he's just trying to make a conversation, but he actually then buys them a candy bar. Well, I buy them a candy bar. But it gets him like he's actually talking to these strangers. And so often they're taken aback by him striking up a conversation. So I feel like, can we start to see each other more? Can we start to notice each other more? Can we smile at each other more? Can we start to do those things like those, again, what you just talked about, those mini touch points, conversations? We have them all the time. Can we say hello to the post office worker and wave hi to the, person who's picking up our recycling or whatever, you know, that helps us to connect and helps us to maybe not be so afraid of one another. It's one of the things I noticed this summer when we were on vacation. I grew up in the Midwest and we spent about two weeks back in the Midwest this summer. And yeah, just how friendly everybody is in town and they wave and they smile. And when you walk by, they say hello. And living in urban California, that's just not the way we relate to each other. People walk by on the sidewalk. They don't say hello. They rarely make eye contact. If they're your neighbor and they know you, they might wave and say hi or have a chit chat. But back in the Midwest, like everybody has a chit chat everywhere we go. My kids were like, why are you talking to everybody? I'm like, well, it's part of the culture. It's what you do here. And it's not what we do everywhere. So it's interesting to think about how we can try and bring those small interactions or those life skills, how to start a conversation, how to order food at a restaurant. For us, it was even how to read street signs this summer as we were in a new city and I had my kids navigate where we needed to go and asked my nine-year-old son, I was like, what street are we on? And he looked up and saw the way the street sign was written. And I forget the name of the street, but he was like, oh, we're on Memorial Highway. Like, no, that street sign goes the same direction as the street. Like that's the cross street. We're on the other street. And he's like, but I can't see that sign. I'm like, well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's part of the trouble of the way street signs are oriented. But just interesting how we can build those life skills in to the ways that we teach and the ways that we interact with the world. So I love to ask all of our guests if they can share a story that they remember from elementary school years. Well, I went to a really little elementary school outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was elementary school age. And I remember, oh, this is a good one. I'm going to date myself. Footloose was a movie. Love Footloose. 
Is this the original or the remake of Footloose? Because they remade one. <laughs> it's the original. It's the original. This is Kevin Bacon. Yes, it's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and our teacher would let us every, I guess, recess or whatever. We Somebody would bring a boombox and we would listen to Footloose, the whole soundtrack. I don't know if it was a whole soundtrack, but it was a lot of the songs. And we would dance and dance and dance and dance. And I don't remember much of anything about what the teacher taught me, but I remember that she would always let us move and dance and interact. And then I also remember we would always go out to play for recess. And I remember it being a very long time, although it may not have been. And I was in charge of the girl gang and we would get the boys and we would just like, I don't even know what I was doing as being in charge of the girl gang, but that was my thing. It was just a lot of play. That's what I think the bottom line is. A lot of play, a lot of movement. That's what I remember about all of my elementary school was just the fun and not feeling the pressure. I think that maybe the kids feel right now. Yeah, that was going to be my next thought and my next question, because you really related to how elementary school made you feel. And I'm curious when we have a solid practice of mindfulness with our educators, how is it then that we want our students to feel? What does that shift feel like in the classroom? I'll speak from my own experience. When I started practicing mindfulness regularly and bringing and showing up that way in my classroom, what my intention always was, was to create a safe container for my students to show up as themselves. So a safe place, a safe four walls, whatever that meant. I oftentimes refer to it as a safe container. So I want my educators to show up as being able to provide that for their students. That's going to mean something different with each class that you have and each group of students and each year. And that's why mindfulness in and of itself is so important because that's getting you rooted in what is actually happening. What does this group of kids need? And what am I actually capable of giving? Because they might need far more than I'm capable of giving, but I can provide them safety in as much as I am able to. And then, you know, I have to make those choices. But safety would be the biggest thing that I would be trying. And what I mean by safety is like that they can be who they are. Yeah, there's a beautiful definition of mindfulness. How can people get in touch with you, Danielle, if they'd like to learn more or reach out? So the best, please, my website, teachingwell.life. So check that out. That's all the information about me. Shoot me an email, danielle at teachingwell.life. I am always ready to have these conversations, willing to do whatever I need to do to get into schools to make this change happen. Because I think I used to work with just teachers, and now I'm trying to work with schools because that's where the change needs to happen. Yeah, we like to say there's several different ways to start a revolution, and it starts from the bottom up often from the teachers and the schools and then creating real change and being real rebel educators in the world. Absolutely. Thank you for your time today, Danielle. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Rebel Educator. Thank you for joining us and thank you for spending your limited time with us learning how to be rebels in education. If you'd like to learn more or access our project library, you can go to rebeleducator.com. If you'd like to learn more about our progressive elementary and middle school in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out upacademy.com. 
Interested in learning more about our Rebel Literacy Project curriculum or launching your own school and joining our affiliate network? Visit projectup.us. And if you haven't read it yet, pick up your copy of my book, Rebel Educator, Create Classrooms Where Impact and Imagination Meet on Amazon or anywhere you read or listen to your books. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Look forward to talking to you soon. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.